0: Yeah. that's right. That's right. I love all of you. I'm so pumped you're here. There are fun things in Scripture. There are absolutely fun things in Scripture, like this amazing verse, Leviticus 1340, a man who has lost his hair and is bald is clean. Like, there's some cool stuff in Scripture. Like, that's fantastic. It's... It's wonderful. Yeah, we need to move on. All right. Welcome to the best 60-minute study break of your week. So every week when you come in here, it's going to be 60 minutes. We're going to start at 8.30. We're going to be done at 9.30-ish. Listen, here's what's up. Here's what's up. If all of you show up on time, I won't go over time. All right. Um, but well, <laughs> just... It's okay. Those of you who were late, it's totally fine. I'm glad you're here. Please come late. I would rather you come late than not come. Um, It is our desire that you encounter Jesus and connect with others. This is why we do this evening. This is why we have our large group gathering here at Chi Alpha at Ottawa University. That's it. I'm going to say this, or whoever's speaking, hopefully, will say this almost every single week. You're going to hear this. Why? Because we hope that you encounter Jesus. like You actually encounter the presence of the living God. Like, that's a big deal. That is a cool thing. This is, th- if this doesn't happen, if the encountering Jesus part doesn't happen and it's only connecting with others, I'm not coming. Okay? I love you all. We can hang out not late at night. Um, I know, 830 is not that late, but Whatever. All right, we exist to transform the university, the marketplace, and the world. Now, we are going to get into, for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about our three real statements. Again, if you've been here before, if you've been part of Chi Alpha, you have heard me say these three things. Real devotion, real community, real responsibility. These are three things I want to help move you into. That as you are on this journey of following Jesus... As you're on this journey of trying to be more Christ-like and less selfish. Here's the thing. Here's the th- this is ridiculous. Selfishness is the exact opposite of godliness. This is something uh, I, I'm also hang out with Pastor Jared a lot over at Hope Anthem Church because I'm sort of staff there too. Um, but he shared something with us this week that I was just like, dang. He's like, "What's the most quoted verse in Scripture?" And we're talking like church staff people, so everybody's like, "I know what it is, but I'm not going to say it." It is not Jeremiah twenty nine eleven for the love that is the most. Never mind, John three sixteen for God so loved the world that He did what? He gave. He gave. Man, it's good stuff. But for this week, I just want to focus just on this first one, the real devotional life. Like, what does it actually mean to have a life of devotion or a life that is following Jesus? This is just something, this is is the basic foundation of following Jesus is this right here is following, having a devotional life. Now, some of you are already thinking he's going to tell me I'm going to have to read my Bible for like three hours a day and I'm going to pray for like the rest of the day and then it'll be five minutes after I've woken up so far because I can't pray longer than that. But what in the world am I supposed to do? This is ridiculous. Now, if you were here last year, I totally forgot about this, but Joe reminded me of this a week ago or something like that, a few days ago, but we started the year last year in the book of Genesis. Do you guys remember that? Genesis to Jesus? Those of you were there last year. So we're going to do the same thing this year. Genesis chapter three, verses one through 11. I'm going to read the whole thing and we're going to break it down. It's going to be so much fun. I'm going to have so much fun. You are welcome to come along on this journey with me in fun having. All right. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. And if it was written during your lifetime, it would have ended with silly rabbit, um, even though it was a serpent. Because this is, this is how I'm reading this. When I read this portion of scripture, I feel like this is Eve's response because she doesn't understand the gravity of the question either, she doesn't understand the gravity of what's actually taking place right now in Scripture. Now, if you don't know this story, you know the story. All right, most of you know the story, or you've heard of it. But so the serpent, the devil, the devil, um, the serpent, was trying to convince Adam and Eve to eat fruit from a different tree and he starts off with a lie and he she well whatever let's keep keep going god said you must not eat this is the woman talking again god said you must not eat it or even touch it if you do you will die you won't die the serpent replied god knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and you will be like god knowing good and evil the woman was convinced they did not have a debate team but the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took it. She took it. Remember John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave. And this is the beginning of us being us without God's presence. So she took it. She took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was there with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Like, that's hilarious. Like, the first thing they think of, hey, what could we attach together to cover our naked selves? I don't know if this was Adam or this was Eve that came up with this idea. But one of them had to come up with it. The other one had to be like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> so they're equally not, not doing so well. <laughs> so they've sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? What's, what's the deal? So we're going to talk about four misconceptions. Now, there are a lot of different misconceptions about these First few verses that most of, uh, at least, first world Christianity, especially American Christianity, kind of gravitates to. But we're going to only talk about four of them. There are others. So if you're like, well, what about this one? Listen, there are, okay, we're just going to talk about four tonight. Because I said we're going to be done by 9.30 because it's the best 60-minute study break. Not 64 minute. the best 60-minute study break of your week. I know what I have left. Number one is this, our sin keeps God from loving us. Like, so often in our sin, it's like, I, I, I don't think God loves me because of this. Uh, I was a youth pastor for 10 years before doing Chi Alpha, and I've been in Chi Alpha. This is actually our fifth year here at Ottawa University, which is nuts to think that we've been here this long. Um, and then we, we were Chi Alpha pastors at KU for three years before this. We've been doing this for a little bit, but I've heard so many students... So many people, and if you were, the the few of you maybe that were at Orientation Chapel, I shared a story of a lacrosse player who's no longer here, but he had a particular tattoo, and I'll share it with you. He had 666 tattooed right above his knee. And I invited him to church all the time. And one day he was finally like, man, I can't, he thought he was really funny. Um, He's like, man, I can't go to church. Have you seen this tattoo? I'm like, yeah. He goes, man, if I walked through the doors, I'd burst into flames. And so I was like, dude, you should come. (laughs) I want to see this happening. If it happens, it'll be amazing. I'll become TikTok famous or something. <laughs> he never came. Anyway, but our sin keeps us from a loving God. So Adam and Eve did the same thing. Like, oh, crap, we sinned. Oh, we, better, we better not let God know about it, which is... All of these statements, if at the very beginning of every single Kayafel we pause for a moment and recognize the fact that an all-powerful and all-knowing God is physically in this room with us, and you can't get away from Him and His love no matter how much you want to, even these kinds of statements or these kinds of thoughts are like mind-boggling when you think about who God actually is. Like, we think that our sin is so big that it's bigger than God. That's how we act. My sin is so great, is so got a hold of my heart and my mind, that there's absolutely no way that the God who created me could love me enough to love me through my sin. Now, the second one, this, this one, honestly, of the four, this one hurts the most. Shame is the same as repentance. So the sin, our sin, separates us from God and yet also we see in just those first few verses of chapter 3 of Genesis that we, that Adam and Eve almost feel as though that shame equals repentance. <coughs> we know this because what did they do? They had the bright idea of fig leaves. Now, I don't know what they got to actually sew fig leaves together. Because that's a fun mystery in and of itself. Like, nobody wore clothes. How did they know what sewing was? Did they, like, try to tie leaves together? Like, this would be a fun thing to look at. You know, like maybe someday we're in heaven be like, hey, Adam, let's have a conversation. He's like, well, let's think. You did stupid things too when you were sinning and he'd walk off all, you know, just mad. No, he wouldn't. Okay, we were in heaven. But shame is the same as repentance. So in my sin, I now have this feeling of shame that I cannot come before a great and almighty God, a God who is all-loving and all-powerful, a God who is all-knowing and present everywhere. I cannot come before him now because he 's going to see my shame in Adam and Eve they 're going to see he 's going to see our nakedness. <gasps> <clears throat> <sighs> like it 's just funny that Adam and Eve, in their shame, are like, oh god can 't see us we 're naked." It's like, I almost feel like God has that attitude of, like, your mom when, when, when she's got little kids or whatever, and their the little kids are like, no, no, look at me. And it's like, I gave birth to you. I have seen everything there is to know about you. You can't hide. You're also naked. Um, <clears throat> at least you didn't try to sew fig leaves together. That you've got going for you, so we're proud of you. But shame is the same as repentance. We think that this is true. It's not. So I'm going to feel now, I'm going to feel sorry. I'm going to feel sorry for my sin. I'm not going to do anything about it, but I'm going to feel sorry for my sin. And in my shame, I'm going to go, oh God, I, I, man, I, am, I just, I, I don't need to come to you because of my shame. Yeah. That doesn't help. That doesn't do anything. If God is a God who is kind, a God who is loving, a God who is full of grace and mercy... That's not the God that's going to be like, oh, you idiot. Number three, it's easier to come to God if we can cover our shame. So even though I didn't repent from my sin, even though I didn't come to God, even though Adam and Eve didn't go to God and be like, God, we screwed up. We, we done messed up, Aaron. I don't think that was the Lord's name. Um, but we done messed up. Instead of doing that, you know, maybe he won't notice (laughs) that I have taken some fig leaves and sewn them together. Here I am, Lord. What's up? He's not going to notice. I promise it's going to be awesome. Like, that's walking in. Like, you wore that white shirt that you knew you should never wear when the cafeteria is serving spaghetti. Like... (laughs) You, dude, in college, whenever I wore something white, it was always some sort of red sauce something that was in the cafeteria. No doubt. It could be a dress shirt. It could be a t-shirt. Whatever it was, it was getting red sauce on it. And I couldn't hide it because I had classes or whatever else. You like try to fold your arms to cover up this massive spot. I had a white shirt. This happened this last summer, by the way. I have this white shirt that I was wearing um, that I bought in Albania because it's a really fancy brand, um, but it's not real, because it's $10. Um, um, is it awesome, I love this shirt, and so we were on our way, I don't even remember we were driving, we were traveling somewhere, and when you travel, you need coffee. It's important. There's no reason to not have coffee while you're traveling. And so I'm drinking coffee, and we, I don't know how far we've gone, maybe an hour or two, Probably not that long because I was drinking coffee. It doesn't take that long to drink a cup of coffee. But I had almost this whole cup of coffee down. So it was about an hour. And we get out of the vehicle. And that is when I realized that this white shirt I was wearing had these spots all the way down the front of it because the lid wasn't on quite correctly. On this, So the brown spots just... and went, Whoa! And I was, yeah, as a designer, I designed it myself. Kind of like sewing fig leaves together. But it was like, I couldn't do it. And Brie's like, well, it doesn't matter. You're never going to see these people. And it just bothered me. And so finally we stopped. And instead of, instead of being like, oh, whatever, I've got coffee stains on me, I was willing to take my shirt off in a gas station parking lot and find another shirt in the back of the van to change. Because that was better. Are they going to remember the guy with coffee stains on his shirt? Maybe they'll be like, hey, there was a dude with stains on his shirt. Are they going to remember a guy who was changing his shirt in a gas station parking lot? Yeah! There was a bald white dude in a parking lot with his shirt off. It's easier to come to God if we can cover our shame. We believe this, and it's like having coffee stains all the way down and showing up to a party and being like, nobody's going to notice. But that's what it is when we approach God. I'm going to cover my shame. I don't want him to see it. I'm not going to repent of it. I'm not going to turn from it. So I'm going to cover it up a little bit. I'm going to make sure that that my friends, my pastors, whoever, that they don't actually know how deep the sin and the shame goes by the way I dress, the way I do things. I want to make sure that I attend every single Christian function that happens at Ottawa University so everybody knows I'm a Christian. Yeah, my attitude and my words suck, but nobody will know. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Last one, we believe and act as though we pursue God. This is a great one. I love this one. Because I think or I treat a God who is everywhere It's like playing hide-and-seek with a four-year-old, okay? How do they hide? You can't see me. It's the same concept as this right here. If I cover my eyes, then you can't find me. If I cover my sin, God won't see me. If I refuse to repent, God can't find me. God was walking in the cool evening breezes just wanting to hang out with Adam and Eve. He knew where they were. He did. He knew where they were. What's fantastic, this is more proof that God is a God that wants to bring you into relationship with him, not a God that wants to punish you and destroy you for your sin because on the very first sin he's calling out to man who he already knows that they sin he already knows where they've hidden and he already knows how they're covering their shame and he's still saying man where are you guys i still want to be with you i still want to be there where are you at and adam and eve did all of these things man i don't you know i think our sin i you know what i don't think we can be around god anymore I think I need to fix some things in my life before, you know, I actually start loving Jesus. I need to fix some things in my attitudes, my actions, before I can actually pursue Jesus. I, I shouldn't go to Chi Alpha. I shouldn't go to FCA. I shouldn't go to church. I shouldn't go to Braves Worship. I shouldn't do any of those things because, you know, it's Christians, and I'm just not one of them yet. Um, that's, ah, oh, man. If those of us who are in the room who are proclaiming that we are Christ followers if we could just get off the high horse for a minute and maybe walk around as though our shame actually is exposed, we can see people the way God sees them. As human beings, every single person is a walking image bearer of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Every single one, especially the one that annoys the crap out of you. They're the worst. There's still an image bearer. Genesis 3, 11. We have this verse. we read it already. I'm going to read it again. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Now, if you were like me, when you read this verse, you read it almost as though there's a little bit of animosity or anger in the voice of God. Who told you that you were naked? Come on, son. What... Man, why are you believing these lies? Like we read that verse that way, with that that lens of God is just, ooh, God's mad at you. Like that mom that snaps in church, and you're like, I that's not my mom, but I'm gonna be in trouble. I'm just, don't move because somebody's about to get whooped. You know. have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? I gave you a simple task. What the heck is wrong with you? Now, if you read it that way, welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. I'm telling you right now, that is a misconception in how we read this. That is not how it's written. That is not the idea of who God is. That doesn't even line up with the rest of scripture that's written up until this point. This is more of, oh man, who told you? Like, this is God's heart shattering for the first time in Scripture. Like, if we could read this with the understanding that God's heart is broken into a million pieces because He is a God who has emotion. His heart is broken in this moment. Not just for Adam and Eve, but for you as well. And me, thank God. And he goes on, Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Guys, (coughs) God's heart is broken. Have you eaten? Oh, you ate. Oh, man. This is not God condemning or God being angry or God just coming down on Adam and Eve. This is God's heart breaking into a million pieces because his absolute prized possession which is his creation of a human being, is now disconnected from relationship with him. His heart is shattered. Then we go on, jump forward to verse 22. Then the Lord God says this. He says, look, the human beings have become like us. Knowing both good and evil, what if they reach out and take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the garden. Now this is a really interesting verse. Especially with this word banished. Like that sounds like really harsh. You know, like, oh man, he banished them. I banish you from my kingdom. Like we've seen the medieval movies or whatever where people are banished or we hear these stories. I don't know. You have this idea. The word banished doesn't sound like a good word. It doesn't. Now, because we're kind of, um, we have so many translations in English, almost every single translation, whether you read NIV or New Living or ESV or one of the other 47,000 English Translations of scripture, because there's a new one coming up tomorrow, I think. That's a joke. Uh, there probably is. But almost every single one of them still translates that Hebrew word into banished. Maybe you've grown up in church and you've hear, heard, you've heard, <laughs> education is importanter. You heard that they were kicked out of Eden. That they were expelled. It's not kicked out. It's banished. It's a little bit different. Banishment from the Garden of Eden was a punishment for sin. That's, that's one of the misconceptions. That's not real. Okay? This, is, this is another misconception. I said we're going to talk about four. That was for the first few verses. And we're going to talk about this one for this verse. We think banishment, oh, it's a punishment. God is now dropping the hammer on Adam and Eve. Finally. After he was like, oh, who told you? Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree? Oh, man. all right, I'm going to kick you out. It's not what happens in Scripture. The verses between these portions of Scripture in chapter 3 is actual, the actual punishment. And at first it sounds weird, like, sorry ladies, but your punishment <clears throat> it comes first. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, your punishment comes first, and your punishment is that pregnancy is going to hurt, <clears throat> and, and giving birth is going to hurt. I have been in that room. I can confirm that that is accurate without ever having to do one of those silly things on TikTok or YouTube where I have to put things on my abs to feel what it's like, I can confirm. I was there, Brie, my lovely wife, pushed that third one out without pain meds. Um, I don't know why. I, don't, I begged her to take an epidural, but she's like, no, I'm a freaking boss. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. Kate, there's some pain in it. And guess what? Dudes, our punishment, you're going to work your whole stinking life and then you're going to have to work some more. I I, I, this is obviously a paraphrase in case this is not actually word for word I didn't memorize Genesis chapter 3. You're going to work. You're going to toil. It's a fun word. Use that one tomorrow in a regular conversation. Oh, I was in at class toiling over my homework. <laughs> What? <laughs> I mean, we toiled really hard at practice. Um, but, but, <laughs> stupid. All right. Banishment from the Garden of Eden was not, in fact, punishment for sin. It wasn't. The punishment was already levied. The punishment was already given in the verses before. Pregnancy's going to hurt. You're going to have to work. Oh, yeah. Stupid snake. You're not going to have legs anymore. <clears throat> and everybody's going to hate you. Snakes are the worst. In an act of unfathomable mercy and love, God banishes Adam and Eve from the garden. The banishment was to ensure hope for all creation, hope that through Jesus, we would be able to spend eternity with him. What Jesus is saying, what God is saying in those verses is like we cannot let them eat from the tree of life to have everlasting life. Here's why, because then I'm going to have to send them to the same place I sent the devil and a third of the angels, and I want to have relationship with them so much that I'm going to kick them out of the garden. I'm going to banish them from the garden so they can't eat of that fruit so that I can hopefully someday have relationship with them. Banishment was actually hope. I can't like, oh man. This is a weird thing to get, but that banishment, that kicking out of the Garden of Eden, this perfect place with whatever food and all the animals and your holy job is to name them. Like That's a cool job. Um, Sounds like a cool job. I'll name some animals. But that banishment was to ensure that you could have, you and I could have relationship with God even in our sin. Even in our shame, even in our suffering. And yet God is a God. Man, I wish Joe Johnson was here. He, he prayed a prayer. Um, we were practicing. They were rehearsing for Orientation Chapel. And he prayed something. And it was just like four or five of us that were there. And there was a word that he said that has just wrecked my world over the last few days. But he simply said, God, thank you for being so kind I guess a word that I don't often use, kind, is a word that I don't often use when I'm speaking of Jesus or I'm praying or I'm even talking. And I think I've used it about a thousand times in the last three days. But God is a God who is so kind, he's willing to get between you and your shame. He's so kind, he's willing to get between you and your anxiety. He's so kind, he's willing to get between you and your pride. You and your lust, you and your anger, you and your fears. He's so kind. He's willing to do that. Why? Because he's wanting to banish you from a place of maybe earthly paradise so that you could spend eternity and you could have a life here on this planet while you were alive. By the way, Christianity is not a thing for dead people. It's not fire insurance so you don't go to hell. It's not. Christianity is giving you the opportunity to have color in your life. Giving you the opportunity to breathe in the midst of chaos. I know it's heavy. And so, I have a meme that helps describe everything that I just said. The love of Christ, me as a sinner. So, in case... In case the words that I just used didn't work, maybe you're more of a visual learner. Th- this is kind of what we talked about this evening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I have a problem, and it's, I have a lot of memes stashed on my phone. So we're going to end with this way. We're going to end it this way. Philippians 4, 4 through 8. Uh, I want to end this with a prayer, with an opportunity to help you experience a devotional life. You're like, whoa, that's what we were talking about? Yes. If you can delight yourself in the presence of God, a devotional life is a natural byproduct. It just happens. You want to pray. You want to read your word because it's the words God gave you to help you follow him. It's this natural thing. When we understand what God went through, his heart breaking to banish us, from the garden so that we could have relationship, now we're looking at God through the lens of, oh, my God wants a relationship with me. (laughs) So even when I have shame in my heart and my mind, when I have sin in my heart and my mind, when I have fears, when I have anxieties, when I have whatever it is, name your poison, that God still wants relationship with you. He still wants a relationship with your roommate. He still wants a relationship with your teammate. And so, a real devotional life is an easy byproduct of delighting ourselves in the Lord. How do we do that? I'm glad you asked. I know we're a little bit over time. I got four minutes before 9 30, though, so we're good. This is it Philippians 4 4 through 8. We're going to walk through this tonight. This is is my challenge to you over the next seven days. You're going to take these four verses. I'm going to ask you to pray them every morning when you wake up. When you get up every morning. When you forget and it's three o'clock in the afternoon tomorrow and you're like, oh, crap. Well, I didn't do it, so I'm not going to do it. No. If you remember at three o'clock tomorrow afternoon, do it anyway. Take some time and stop. So something that That is, This is ridiculously powerful. When you pray scripture over yourself and over the people around you, it's incredibly powerful. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray this prayer. I'm going to ask you to to take these words from scripture and to use them as a prayer in your daily devotional life. So you can see what it says. It says, always be joyful in the Lord. But if we're going to turn this into a prayer, I'm going to use myself for this one. Lord, may I always be joyful. May I always be full of joy in you. May I find joy in who you are. Lord, help me to learn to rejoice. Let everyone that sees, let's see. All right, let everyone see. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. God, may I be considerate. May I not be selfish with my words. I'm going to be selfish with my words. Not because I want to be, but because that's a natural thing for me to want. It just comes out naturally. Why? Because I've been doing it for so long. But maybe if I spend some time in prayer, hey God, may my words be considerate. May everything I do and say be pleasing to you. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. God, you are coming soon. You are coming soon in my life. You are coming soon here on this planet. You are coming soon. God, may I not worry about anything. Instead, may I pray and come to you about everything. When I'm walking in, I'm like, you know what? Shame sounds really comfortable right now because that's what I've done for the last 18, 19, 20 years. Shame's easy. I, that's an easy thing. I can walk right in shame. I do it all the time. But in those moments... In those moments, may I be reminded of who you are. May I pray about everything instead of feeling like I need to walk in shame. God, may I tell you what I need. Not only just tell you, but may I thank you for all you have done. Then I can experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace, God, your peace will guard my heart. Not just my heart, but my mind. As I live in you. And now, dear brothers and sisters, you don't have to use that in your prayer. Be like, I'm going to pray. roommates, come here, brothers and sisters. Um, don't do that. God, may I fix my thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. May I think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Even if you just end it, you just use that one verse, verse 8. If that's your prayer, if you do that every single morning, I'm telling you, things will change. You're, you find comfort in shame. You find comfort in anger. You find comfort in pride. You find comfort in lust. You find comfort in whatever it is that you find comfort in. As you begin to find comfort in that, may the Holy Spirit, whoa, 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 Pump the brakes. Oh man, God, help me to fix my thoughts on what is true and honorable. What is right and pure and lovely and admirable. God, may I think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your presence. God, I thank you that you are a God who is so kind to us that you are willing, you are able, and you are your whole purpose, like you want to get in between us and our sin. God, I pray for students in this room tonight who are walking in shame, who are walking in sin, who are walking in anger, walking in lust, whatever it may be. God, I pray that through your Holy Spirit that we would fix our thoughts on what is true and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. God, may we think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. In Jesus' name, amen.